How you guys doing? Great to have you here today. Thanks for joining us at Church Unlimited. Thanks for joining us. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars guys. We love you guys. Thanks for being a part of our program today. So last week we started a brand new series called God With Us. We discovered how God wants us to receive all that He is in our lives and all He has for us. And this week I want to kind of continue with that theme, but with God with us, one of the things that happens in our lives is sometimes we begin to question whether God's with us because our plans get messed up. And so what do you do when you feel like, man, I, I had a plan going, I kind of I knew the, the, the track or the trail or the path I was on, and I feel like it just got totally botched. What do you do when God messes up your plans? Now I want to talk about a guy in the Bible that frankly does not get his due. This guy gets no respect in churches today. I'm telling you right now, when we talk about Christmas, who you talk about? You talk about Jesus, right? You talk about Mary, you talk about the angel Gabriel, you talk about everyone but Joseph. I mean, say it ain't so, Joe. Poor Joseph gets left out of this whole thing, right? Because, you know, Heavenly Father's the real dad to Jesus. Joseph is just kind of there along for the ride. I mean, the poor guy just doesn't get any time. And so I want to talk about him. Pull out your Bibles if you would. Let's talk about Joseph. I was thinking about how he just doesn't get any respect, and it just made me think of, of the late comedian, Rodney Dangerfield. So here's some, here's some no respect. Rodney Dangerfield uh, said this. He's just some great quotes from me. He said, with my, he said, I get no respect. With my dog, I get no respect. He keeps barking at the front door. He don't want me to go out. He wants me to leave. He said, I get no respect. Last week, I saw my psychiatrist. I told him, Doc, I keep thinking I'm a dog. He told me to get off his couch. You can laugh now. That's good. Okay. I get no respect. When I was born, a doctor came out to the waiting room and said to my father, I'm sorry. We did everything we could, but he still pulled through. I get no respect. My father carries around a picture of the kid who came with his wallet. 
I get no respect. My psychiatrist told me I'm going crazy. I told him, if you don't mind, I'd like a second opinion. He said, you're ugly too. <laughs> Joseph in the Bible gets no respect. It really, it's just one of those things that at Christmas time, we talk about Jesus and Mary and Gabriel and the angel. We even throw in the donkey. It's not even in the story, right? I mean, we talk about all the stuff, right? But we oftentimes leave out Joseph. But Joseph was a pivotal role. If you, if you look at the scripture, I mean, he, he, he's Jesus' earthly father. He, he had a big thing. In fact, he was the one that they actually said, the angel said, I want you to name Jesus, Jesus. He said, well, when you name him, name him this. So, wow, he had naming rights over God's son. Wow, that's, that's a pretty big deal. And so Joseph is a big deal, and, and Joseph taught Jesus how to be a carpenter, and apparently that was a, a, a task that laid the groundwork for Jesus in his ministry. And, and so there's, there's a, a big role that, that Joseph played in the Christmas story. So let's not leave him out today. Let's give him some respect. Let's talk about Joseph. Pull out your Bibles if you would. Let's start with the scripture in, uh, in Matthew chapter 1. And as you turn there, let's start off saying our mission statement together. We are here to do what? To take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. Drop the mic. That's what we do here. We believe in that. We are, we, that's the core value here that we believe in. It's our gut check that that's what we do. Everything we do comes down to, are we taking more people to heaven? You know what? Before I jump into the message too far, I want to say, be praying for who you're going to bring Christmas Eve, by the way. You know, Christmas Eve is the new Easter. It's bigger than Christmas. I mean, it's bigger than, than Easter ever will be now. Did you know that Christmas Eve is, is massive for us at all of our campuses? It's our biggest outreach of the year. So I want to challenge you to be praying for who you're going to bring this Christmas Eve. Can't wait for Candy Cane Christmas. That's what we're doing on Christmas Eve with all of our campuses. You are going to love it. Your kids are going to freak out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Don't miss Candy Cane Christmas here at Church Unlimited. Let's jump into the message. What do you do when God messes up your plans? We all have plans. We all have ideas of what, what our lives are going to look like in the future, and it doesn't quite turn out that way. We all feel like we're on plan B or C or D or F, or, right? You just feel like you're way off the plan A that you had for your life, but God has a plan for your life. Joseph was, was just doing what every typical Jewish guy does. He fell in love with a Jewish girl, and you go through the whole process of getting married, and he already did the legal thing, which, which they were a husband and wife, but the way it worked is you had a, a year waiting period, so you couldn't just quickly, basically sleep around, end up getting some girl pregnant, and say, oh, we're going to get married, and then you know it, make it look like that you weren't sleeping with them beforehand. So they, they had a year waiting period to, to, to force you to prove that you were an upstanding guy and she was an upstanding girl and, and you were doing this the right way and in God's eyes and in your family's eyes and culture's eyes and all that. And so that's kind of how they did it back then. And so so they, they would say, okay, I want to marry this person. And then the families would get together and they would actually have a contractual agreement and there were gifts given to each family before the kids you know, actually made official that they were going to be married. They actually called each other husband and wife before they lived together, before they slept together. I mean, this is a whole different process than we do today. It was, it was, it was basically like an arranged marriage. And before you make fun of that, you need to know that statistics are better with arranged marriages than the way we're doing it. I don't know if you knew that, but actually they, they actually last longer. And I realize there's some abuse in some countries with that. And so I'm certainly not trying to argue for that today, but I'm just saying, trying to say that the way they did it may seem archaic to us, but Actually, the, the, the way they did it back in Jewish world is that the, the daughter and the son would consult the parents. Hey, I really like him. What do you think of him? I really like her. What do you think of her? That's actually a good thing. God wants us to do that, to honor our parents and, and for them to be involved in our lives like that. So there's, there's some real strength there. And so that's how they did it. And so they basically, they fell in love. 
And they, 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 they talked about it, then they went back to their parents, their parents talked about it, then their parents get together, and there's a contractual agreement, and they're officially legally married. Okay, So now they're legally married, but then he stays with his parents in their home, she stays with her parents in their home, and then a year later, there's a big processional where you know, they get all dressed up, and then they go on this giant processional with all his friends with them all the way through the town from his house to her house, and then they have this big ceremony and the big giant celebration for hours and hours, very similar to the way we do that, right? And then there's a giant processional back to either their new home or to his home, if he's still living with his parents, which I know sounds weird, but they could do that too. But they would, they would basically start their own home, right? And then at that point, they would consummate the relationship. That's what it looked like in the Jewish world. So Joseph was just in the middle of that, doing what, what God's word said to do, which is okay, so we made this the right way. We're, we're legal. We're engaged. I'm still calling you husband and wife at this point, but we're just engaged. We're not, I'm not touching her. I'm not doing anything like that. I'm just honoring God. I'm saving money, getting everything ready. And then Mary shows up. You know, and you're not looking like you used to look, Mary. What's going on here? This is a problem. What's going on? I'm about to call, out, call you out. This is a big deal. I'm going to put you on the Murray Probit show. What's going on? Because it looks like you're pregnant, and I want to know who the dad is. Because it's not me. I haven't touched you. And I've wanted to touch you, and I haven't. So what is going down, Mary? Right? So check out the scripture. It says this, Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. You talk about messing up your plans? Like, we're supposed to get married? We're doing this the right way? And you show up pregnant? Are you kidding me? And here's the problem, guys. He's already legally bound. You don't just go back and say, oh, it's a mistake. Give me the ring back. We're good. That's not how that worked. It is an official divorce decree to get out of this thing. And so this is messy. He is bound. You ever been bound to something that you couldn't get unbound from? Where you're like, I got to call an attorney. I got to get this figured out. I got legal paperwork. I don't know how to get out of this now. You ever, you ever gotten yourself into something and you're like, I, I got to complete this lease now. I, I got to stay with this job because the economy's bad. I can't just go get another job real fast. I started in school. I got to at least finish this semester. And then what are we going to do after that? You ever been in something and you don't and you're like, I, I, I just want to get out of this now, but I can't. Welcome to Joseph's life. He's like, I, I mean, I signed up for this. I thought it was going to be a good thing. And apparently Mary's not who I thought she was. And now how do I get out of this? I mean, this is a mess. This is not what I signed up for. God, I'm trying to honor you and follow your word. And this happens? This is supposed to happen to bad people. Not people like me. I'm trying to honor God, trying to do the right thing. Trying to follow in your footsteps. And I felt like, Lord, you were in this and then you let this happen. How in the world can you be in this, God? God just smiled going, you have no idea how much I'm in this. Joe, I got it. But he doesn't see that yet. It's confusing. It's difficult. What's happening? So you got to know this, number one, when God messes up your plans, he is guiding you into his plans. When God messes up your plans, he's guiding you into his plan. Joseph was from a real small town. I mean, what can God do big in a small town? Apparently a lot. Joseph's from Bethlehem. It's a southern suburb of the big town, J-Town, Jerusalem. It's a, it, it's, he's from Jesus from the south side. He's like, south side, what up? So he's from this small little area that was like a blinking light in a Dairy Queen. There was nothing there. 
But yet, that's where God chose to bring his son into the world. And Joseph just happened to be from Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was such a small town that everyone was all family, right? It was basically like a little, a little you know, farm that turned into a town as it just family kept growing and growing and growing. And so they're all from the same family. They're all from the same line, the line of David, which is what the Bible said Jesus would come from, the line of David. And so that's, that's how that worked. This is fulfilling prophecy at this point. Look at verse 19. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, before we just roll past that verse, let me just say, you have no idea how honoring and over-the-top loving that was. Let me ask you something. If you are married to someone, it's a big public ordeal, you're building up for a wedding, all this kind of stuff, right? Now, remember, they did, they, they did married, then wedding. We do wedding, and then you're married, right? But So the order's a little different. But in that first year of your marriage right? You, you just, let's just say you're, you're in the honeymoon phase, you're crazy in love, and you find out your, your spouse or your fiance cheats on you. Are you going to be loving at that point? Let's just be honest right now. Come on, ladies, you know what I'm talking about, right? At this point, right, like it's, it's on, right? You're like taking off the lashes. Oh no, this is not happening to me, right? I mean, this is about to get nasty, right? You're about to, oh, it's coming down. We're going to have a talk. It's going to get ugly right here. It's going to go full Jerry Springer episode right now, right? I mean, you'd be furious. I, 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 I'm giving you my heart. I love you. I'm dedicated to you. And you pull this on me? Are you crazy? I mean, you can imagine how devastated he must have felt. But he still was going to honor her and not publicly disgrace her. And just how bad could it get? Let me show you. Deuteronomy 22 verse 23 says this, suppose a man meets a young woman, a virgin who is engaged to be married, and he has sexual intercourse with her, and it happens within a town. You must take both of them to the gates of that town and stone them to death. Oh, this goes far beyond a little shame. This goes far beyond someone, you know, posting on Facebook. No, we can put you to death. And before you think that's so archaic and that would never happen today, oh, it happens all the time today, all around the world. This stuff still goes on. No, don't think for a second that these rules are done. This still happens. It's archaic and we're not agreeing with it. But that's, that's, the law will break you. At some point you realize none of us are perfect. We, we're all messed up. And that's how severe the law was at this point. Since the woman is guilty because she did not scream for help, the man must die because he violated another man's wife, and this way you will purge this evil from among you. Wow. The law is like, kill him. Joseph's like, legally, I could have you stoned to death. I could have you killed. Or at the very least, I could go to the city gate, and I could explain, hey, I'm Joseph. I hadn't touched her. Here's the deal. She showed up pregnant, so I don't know what's going on. Mary, you can try to explain yourself. And the very worst, you know, very worst, she dies. Best case, she's got essentially like a scarlet letter she's wearing around that, you know, hey, you got pregnant, wasn't me, so I don't know what's up with you, but, you know, good luck with all that, right? And so you can go, you know, have your own baby mama drama. I'm not dealing with that. That's not me. And so, and then she would have carried the shame of that, but he didn't want to do either of those things. He just instead needed to go find two public witnesses, two witnesses to privately go to the court with no one else around, say, you just need to end this, only the two of you know. Please keep it quiet for Mary's sake. Wow, I mean, he was handling this in a very nice way. And I think it's important to point this out because sometimes we, we, we get in a mess. Life doesn't go the way we want it, but then we make it messier by the way we handle our relationships. This is important because it, it's, messes happen. You know, pe- people, people get hurt. Pe- 
people get upset with each other. Things go bad in ministry or business or relationships or, you know, that, that's normal, guys. It's just, that's part of the human condition. And so the question I have for you is not, are you in a mess, but are you making it messier by the way you're treating people? It's never okay to be dishonoring. Even when you feel like, but I have right. Yes, Joseph, you had right. But what good would this do? And, and for that matter, do you think God was going to let Mary, who's now carrying Jesus, God's son, get hurt? <laughs> no. And how, how bad would it have been if the story was like, and then Joseph ranted and raved and went to his boys and was like, I can't believe she did that, man. Let's go drown our sorrows in some drinks, and I'm just going to go off on her and talk how bad she is and this and that. And then, and then he has to come back after a dream and be like, yeah, but all those things I said, I'm really sorry about that. Like, thank God he was honoring the whole time, right? How, how hard would it have been on their relationship for them to enter this new marriage if he would have been a jerk about this and and I'll understand it, right? So he was always honoring. Number two is no matter the offense, honor people. It's always the right thing to do is to honor other people. Sometimes God messes up your plans, but he always wants you to bring honor. I want to tell you about a story. Years ago, this happened uh, in, in our church, and, and I haven't told the story in so long. Just the other day, I ended up telling it, and I thought, man, I haven't shared that with our church in a long time. So I thought I, I'd bring it back up again. This is, gosh, 10, 15, almost 15 years ago now. It's hard to believe it's been that long. I started the church when I was 10, keep that in mind. But anyways, uh, it was a long time ago. I remember we were trying to raise money to expand our building at our old location. We, we only sat about 650 chairs, and we were running six services a weekend to accommodate the people coming. And it was just packed constantly, and we were just frankly getting tired. The whole staff was, I was, it was like, whew, we're just worn out. And, uh, you know, the idea of pace, the idea of understanding how to handle this growing church, it was just overwhelming to us. And we knew we needed to add seats, add parking, add building, add something. And so we began to try to make deals with the people on both sides of us. There was parcel land on one side. On the other side, uh, there was another parcel land that, that was under development, but we thought maybe we could squeeze out an acre or two. So we were trying to work on all that. And uh, we, we thought we had a deal under wraps uh, in, on both parcels at one point. Neither the, of them came through. Uh, but in the middle of that, we were trying to raise money, and we had plans drawn up to, to add on to our building. And, uh, and I went to the people and said, hey, we need to raise money. We think it's going to cost about $1.2 million to, uh, to expand this building. So we started a church giving campaign. I'd never done one of these before, and so I just knew we needed to raise this money. So we, we you know, did the dinners and challenged people, and I preached on it, all that kind of stuff. And so we began to raise money. About a year into this, actually, I think it was almost two years in, uh, we had not raised $1.2 million. We'd only brought in about $200,000, which I know that's a lot of money, but when the goal is $1.2 million, $200,000 is not a lot of money when that's your goal as a church. And I was like, man, this is going to over-indebt us. We can't do this. What are we going to do? So we were just stuck. We had all these people come to church, which is a great problem to have, but we didn't have enough money to expand. So we were really in a mess because we had these plans drawn up and what do I do with these plans? We've got to either do this or if we don't do it, how am I going to look as a leader? And the money's not coming in. I mean, what do I do? And I thought, maybe I need to go to the people just chastise them. What's wrong with you? Don't you guys get the vision? You, you people are selfish. You need to give more, you know. And, but I thought, Man, I don't feel right about that. Because a lot of people really sacrificed. And, and, you know, and for our young, fledgling church, that was really a, a, a big commitment. And so I, I just was really struggling. Lord, I don't know what to do here. Because I know people really are giving. Not everyone is, but a lot of people are. And is it really right for them to feel chastised? And, you know, and, you know what right do I have to do that? So I was really struggling. So I remember we went to this conference and a guy named Bruce Wilkinson spoke. He was just one of many speakers at this conference in Houston. It was so powerful that I bought the, the uh, video of it and to bring it home and, and show a couple people at, at church, at, at our, in our staff. 
So Bruce Wilkinson is the guy who wrote the prayer of Jabez. We watched this video. I was there live. It was phenomenal. So I got the video, brought it home. We watched it again uh, with our staff. It was so moving. We ended up just, by the end of it, just turning off the tape, all getting on our knees and just praying and seeking God. So here we are praying, and there's only a handful of us in the room at the time. And I remember Pastor Skip Moseshek was on our staff at the time. He's now, uh, he helped his good friend start a church in his hometown. But Skip was with us for 10 years, and, and, and I love him dearly. He's like a brother to me to this day. We're on our knees, and we're praying, and uh, a handful of us are praying. And as we're praying, I, I just, w- w- we just began to sense the Spirit of God. And we just felt like God was really leading us. He was really there. As we're in the middle of this moment, I just said, God, I, just, I need to know what to do. I don't know what to do. We don't have enough money to build this thing. What, what are we supposed to do? And right at that moment, I just said, Lord, I sense you're telling us to do something crazy. I just don't know what it is. And, and, and then, actually, I'm sorry, let me get this right. Skip said that. Skip said, God, I don't know what we're supposed to do, but I know you're telling us to do something crazy. Now, here's the thing about Skip. Skip loves the Lord. He is sincere in his faith, but he's not a spiritual talker. He's not going to talk spiritual at all. He's going to make fun of you, and he's going to be really funny, and he's going to tell hilarious stories, and you know he's sincere in his faith, but that's Skip. I mean, he's not, like, going to preach. He's not going to, like, bring a word from God. If he did, if he said, I have a word from God, I'd be like, all right, what's the joke? I mean, like, that's the kind of thing with him. So for him to say, I know God's telling me that he wants us to do something, I was like, wow. Like, that's, like that does not come out of his mouth. And right then, this idea came to my mind, and I knew it was a God idea because of the timing. And so as we're sitting there, I just said, I know what it is. I know what God wants us to do. And I remembered that there was a pastor in Atlanta that had given away money to the congregation, given back money. They gave like $1, $5, and $10 amounts in little envelopes to every church member to teach on stewardship and have them take it and go multiply it somehow and return it to the church. So I kind of had that idea in my mind, and it just hit me. I, I know what I think we can do. And I said, hey, let's do some quick math here. So we did some quick math with how many adults we had come to church. And I said, I think I know what we're supposed to do. I know this is going to sound nuts. I think we should get all the money out of the bank, 200000 and let's give it back to the people physically and ask them to multiply it and return it. So we did the math and figured out it would be about $100 a person. So we're like, okay, this is nuts. This is crazy. This is the stupidest idea ever. We're about to bankrupt our church. This is just dumb. Okay, let's call the staff in and see if they think it's cool. And so we brought them all in, right? And so we rewatched the video again. We didn't tell them what we were thinking about doing. Then we all prayed. Then at the end, we said, okay, here's what we're thinking about doing. And they were like, yeah, I think that's what we should do. And then, and then the, the stopgap was the CPA. We're like, oh, yeah, she'll definitely say no. She'll think this is the stupidest thing ever, right? So, so we call her in. She's real conservative on stuff like this, right? Definitely not giving all this money where there's no She's a giving person, but, I mean, this is the church. Like, what are you doing giving away all the money from the church? These people gave this money. You're crazy. So we watched the video. We talked about it. We, we, we prayed, and we said, what do you think? We think we should do this. And she looked up with tears in her eyes. She said, I think this is what God wants us to do. And I was like, oh, crap. Now I have to do this. The person who was supposed to say no said yes. So I knew at that moment that God was saying, this is, this is my will. That's what I want you to do. I was like, this is crazy. I didn't even know if this was legal. I mean, I, this had never really been done before, not that I'd heard of. So I called her banker up. Didn't even know her. Called her up, and I said, can I come see you? She's like, sure. So I went down there, and again, I didn't really know her at all. Her name's Rose, and I sat down with Rose, and I said, hey, Rose, um, I need to ask you to do something for me. She's like, okay, what's that? How can I help you, Pastor? 
you know our account? She goes, yep. She pulls up on the screen. Doop. Oh, yep, about 220000 in the account. Yep, yeah, that, that's our account. Um, so I need you to um, cash that in increments of $100 bills. I need to come get that in $200,000 in cash. She's like, I'm sorry, what? I said, yeah, we just need to get that in, in cash. She's like, you need to. I said, well, not me. We're going to have a representative come from the church. They're on our legal documents, and we'll, we'll be, you know how dangerous it is to walk around. What are you planning on doing with this cash? And I said, I appreciate you asking. I understand. I said, so we prayed about this as a team. I explained the whole thing to her, and I said, I know that sounds nuts. It sounds crazy, and she stopped, and she goes, hold on, and she pulled out her checkbook, and I was like, what's going on? She goes, I know we don't do this, but I sense that God is speaking to me. I didn't know the girl's a Christian. She pulls out a check, and she goes, so you're going to give $100 to people and ask them to multiply it by 10 if possible and return it. I said, yeah, I know it sounds crazy and stupid. She goes, no, it doesn't. I absolutely agree with that, and I want to be the first to do it. And she gave me a personal check for $1,000. I knew this is crazy. I don't even know this lady. This is my banker. She doesn't go to our church. And she said, I know that God wants you to do this. Wow. We came back two days later. I, no, I, I didn't. Someone else did. Came back. One of our pastors did. He was packing a gun, right? I mean, this is a lot of money. He brought a big satchel. This is, I mean, no lie. This is like we're robbing the bank or something. This is hilarious. We get all these unmarked $100 bills in the bag. And so we, they escorted out. I mean, it was hilarious. We had like, like high-level you know, security at this point. Lost money. No one knew we were doing this, but a few staff members. That was it because we realized how dangerous it was to have all this cash on hand put it in the safe, that whole thing. But then what we did was we, I wrote a little letter explaining what we felt led to do. We folded that letter around a $100 bill, put it in a red envelope. The reason it was a red envelope was because about a year or two before that, when we first started the church, when we were dead broke, multiple times, I've just been praying, God, we can't even pay the bills, but I feel like we're supposed to advertise our church, and we, didn't, we can't even pay salaries. We don't have any money, but I just felt like God saying, keep going, I'm going to bless you, keep going, I'm going to take care of you. And so we would, we would make commitments to, to advertising when we didn't have any money to bank. So it would be 5,000 advertisers. We'd be like, how much do you need up front? 2,500. Well, we have that. Okay, I'll send you the check. And we'd you know, take our account down to $100. I mean, it's crazy. You know, it's payroll week, 100 bucks in the account. How am I going to do this? And we'd just send it. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the next day in the mail, there'd be a red envelope. This one I didn't even know. It always came in a red envelope. And it would just be a check for a couple thousand dollars or something. Just blew my mind, which at the time might as well have been a million. So I said, make all the envelopes red. Because that just, for me, that signified God provides. So we put these little letters, I explained everything, and a $100 bill, in, wrapped it up, put it in a red envelope, sealed them all. And we had all those envelopes. After, at the end of the service that weekend, I didn't know what I talked on. doesn't even matter now, because the faith step afterwards was so crazy. People gave it the offering, then, then the, the ushers went back, emptied out the offering buckets, and then they put the red envelopes in the offering buckets. And we said, before you leave, we're going to give you something. We pass out the red envelopes. We said, everyone who's over the age of 18, please take a red envelope. You don't have to be a member of our church. This is a gift to you. I can't tell you what to do with it, but if you feel led by God after reading the letter to multiply this and return it, we would ask you to do so. At the same time, God may tell you to give the $100 to someone in need. I don't know. It's not my job to tell you what to do with it. Just know it's literally God's money. It came from God's house. We ask you to multiply it and return it, right? So we just gave it out by faith, scared to death because God had interrupted our plans. More on that in a minute. Check out the scripture. So no matter, what, no, no matter the offense, honor people. I didn't dishonor people, by the way, and try to chastise them because you weren't giving more, so here's your money back. We didn't do that. 
We just felt led to obey God at that moment. Matthew 1, verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Would you underline the word conceived? That's a, that's a big word. Conceived means it began with God. It doesn't begin with us. We keep trying to go to God with our will and make it his will, but one of the ways you know it's his plan is that he interrupts your plan. That's how you know it is his plan, is it wasn't what you planned. It wasn't how you thought it was going to go down. That's a sign he's in control. When things don't turn out like you want, he's not trying to rip up your plans. He's trying to give you better plans. When he messes up your plans, remember this, he's messing it up. He's trying to take it higher, make it better. That's what God's trying to do with your plans and with mine. And so this is really important that we honor people, but also we need to always remember this. Number three, always follow the, Lord, the, the Lord's lead. Always follow the Holy Spirit's lead. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord spoke to him. An angel at this point is the Holy Spirit speaking to us. That's what we, we would say in the Old Testament and the pre-Holy Spirit Acts chapter 2 moment, the way that God spoke to people was through prophets and through angels. And so now we get the Holy Spirit, God with us, God within us, as we talked about last week. And so understand that that's, that's how that works. But now we follow the Holy Spirit's lead. Now, check out this next scripture, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 through 25. This is what the angel said, and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus literally means the Lord saves. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet, through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So he did exactly as he was told by the Holy Spirit. Now check this out. Let me show you another scripture. This is how God was speaking to Mary, right, before she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1, verse 30 says, Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. And so basically, at this point, Joseph gets the same vision, gets the same dream that Mary has had. And so he's like, whoa, this is crazy. The angel just said to call him Jesus. Mary told me his name was supposed to be Jesus also. And so there's confirmation here between the two of them. So the question people always ask me, yeah, that sounds great, Pastor. I'm supposed to follow the Holy Spirit's lead. How do I know what the Holy Spirit's telling me? You ever been there? So can you give me a little guidance on how I'll know that it's actually God talking to me instead of me just making something up? What if I just had a bad burrito at that moment? How do I know it's God? Right? You're like, I mean, I, I need to know, like, how do I know this is actually God? Or maybe it was just a song on K-Love that made me cry. I don't know if it's really God. Is that really what, what God wants me to do? Here's how you know when God is leading you. Ready? Check it out. How do you know? God's will is confirmed by the right timing mixed with God's word confirming it and your circumstances all coming together. That's timing, God's word, and your circumstances. So he's like, well, I'm kind of stuck in the circumstance. We're already married legally, right? And then she comes to me. She's pregnant. I'm stuck. I go to sleep pondering what I should do. And in that moment, I had this dream, and it's clearly an angel talking to me. And he tells me something that's confirmed in Isaiah. And he, this is a good Jewish boy. He knows the word. So he's like, yeah, says it in Isaiah 7. You know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, 
that the child was going to be conceived through, you know, through a virgin. And so that's actually in the Bible. I just didn't think it was going to be my wife. But all of this came together. Oftentimes, God's messes are actually God helping you not miss the mark, but to hit it directly. God's message becomes, it starts with God's messes. Your mess becomes God's message through you. God uses the mess to deliver his message. His greatest work in your life is not through good times and easy times and stuff you planned. His greatest work is through tough times, difficult moments, and things you did not plan and you did not anticipate. That's when his will gets done. That's when he does his greatest work. At some point, we just had to say, God, I just trust you with everything in my hands, everything I have, everything I think I have planned that I want to do. I just turn it over to you, Lord. I just, I just have to trust you because I know that you have a plan. It's bigger than me. It's better than me. It's better than what I can do. God wants to outshine what you think you can pull off. He wants to do something bigger. His reach is further than yours. His pockets are deeper than yours, thank God. His reach is higher than yours. His sight is further than you. He knows things you don't know. Trust him, his timing, his plans, his purpose. He knows what he's doing, and he's waiting for us to surrender to him. So here we are, the end of service. Years ago, we give out all this money. <laughs> there were gasps among the people. When they opened it up, we just heard people go, <gasps> when they saw $100 bills, and they looked at the person next to them and realized, I got one and you got one too. How much money is this? That day, our calculations were a little off. We thought we had a few more adults than we were going to have. Instead of giving out $200,000, we gave out $190,000 cash. I mean, word spread like wildfire. What in the world is this church doing? Are they crazy? But then the story started to come in. But then the spirit began to move in people's lives like I've never seen. It changed our church. It changed me. I was like, Lord, this is nuts, giving all this money away. And I felt like God was telling me, really, you're, you're freaking out giving what you have away. But isn't that what giving is? You know what you ask people to do every day is to give from what they have? How is this different? I was like, I'm sorry, God, this is your money. This isn't the church's money. You are the church. This is all yours, Lord. So we give it freely. And I just thought, well, either this can be the craziest act of faith that leaves us broke, and we just say, well, we trusted God, or God's going to come through and do something we didn't expect. That day we gave $190,000 away. Over the next two weeks, after story after story of downright miracles happening in people's lives where people begin to give back and get creative in ways that they could take that money and multiply. Little kids going and saying, Mom, Dad, take me to Petco and buying a bunch of dog shampoo and conditioner and then going watching all the dogs in the neighborhood and bringing the resources back to the church. Little stories like that, I mean, over and over again. Businessmen just felt so convicted. They said, I already have it. I'm just going to turn around right now and just give this $100 back and write a check right now back and hand it right. We had that. I mean, story after story. Stories about people who said, I was going to give it, but then God told me to give the $100 bill to someone else and that person needed it in that moment. And we hear about their story. I mean, it was crazy. All the stories that we heard all across the city and beyond. Caller Times heard it. It did a huge article on a couple that had just started the business, didn't know what to do. She was the secretary for his chiropractor services, and he was in the back. They'd spent every penny to, just to get in the place and open their business, and then they show up at church, and they want to obey God. They're trusting God, and 
They want to give, and they're like, well, that would mean we need 2,000 bucks because we both have a check for 100 bucks. We don't have the money, Lord, but we want to give. And they feel God saying, trust me, and you're going to give. And they're like, Lord, we don't have it. And at some point, I guess they shared with some friend or family member or whatever and just said, just pray for us. We feel led to do this. We just don't have the money. We're just asking God to show us what to do. She's sitting at the desk, and no one's in the office. It's a brand-new business. No one's even there yet. She's sitting at the office, and she sees the door crack open. She says, hello, come on in. She doesn't see anyone. She just sees an envelope thrown in to the room. She's like, what is that? And this is kind of back in the day and age when there was a lot of stuff going on with bombs and stuff, kind of crazy, right? And so she called the police. She's like, I don't know what's in that package, but I don't want to open that alone. So they came out. <laughs> this is crazy. She's like, I don't know what's in there. They opened the package, and it just had a little note that said, we know you're trying to trust God right now. And they had $2,000 cash in it. And they gave the money to the church. Then the Caller Times heard about that, ran an article on the couple that gave. It swept the city. God did something profound. And in one week, in one crazy act of obedience, we gave out $190,000. In the next two weeks, God brought back in $750,000. Crazy. It's crazy. It wasn't a short time after that that God opened the door for us to buy this land. And the only way we could pull that off was with that money. And that's part of the miracle of the broadcast campus. But there's many more miracles to come. The question is, will we trust God when he messes up our plans? Will we trust God when things don't work out like we thought it was going to with our family or our friends or our career, our finances, our situation? Will we trust God that he has a plan even when it doesn't make sense to us? It doesn't have to make sense to us. Doesn't make sense to God. Would you bow your heads? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would we just take a moment to pray right now across all of our campuses? I want to encourage you today. Maybe God's speaking to you and He's telling you, You know, I have a plan for you. I'm messing with your plans because I love you. God's not trying to frustrate you, He's trying to guide you. If your head bowed, every eye closed, if God's speaking to you right now, you know He's telling you, Trust me, surrender your life again in my hands. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're the one like Mary who literally wrote a song about it, just a trust in the Lord. Maybe today you say, Lord, I may not write a song about it, but I am going to just trust you with this situation. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my children. I trust you with my career. I trust you with my ministry. I trust you with my money. I just trust you with all that I have, God, with this worry, this concern, my health issue, whatever it is for you. Maybe today's a, a test of trust at you today, would you just slip your hand up and say, God, I'm just going to trust you. I surrender to you fully. I don't know the future, but I don't have to know the future. I know the one who knows the future. So I just trust my life in your hands. Praise God. Praise God. Hands going up all over all of our auditoriums. Praise God. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, Jesus means the Lord saves. That's what the name actually means. Jesus came to save you and me. In his birth, in his naming was his purpose, to give his life for you and me. The reason we celebrate a birth is because of what he did in death. He died for your sins and for mine. Then Jesus rose again from the grave, proving that he is God. Now he waits for you and me to individually receive him. Would you pray this prayer with me? We're going to pray it out loud, and you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior right now. Notice I didn't say you had to join the church. I didn't say you had to become super religious like your weird aunt. No, you don't have to do any of those things. None of those are required. 
To know Jesus is simply to trust in him and accept what he did for you at the cross. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, you can pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by praying this prayer out loud with me right now. Across all of our campuses, let's just pray this together. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe he died on the cross for me. And I believe he rose again. I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. I repent of my sins, and I now want to live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.